Hello and welcome to Final Fantasy Union. I'm your host, Kyle Winan. This is likely the most special episode of the show we've recorded to date, and I know you're thinking, hey, we've interviewed the voices of Lightning, Snow, and Fang from Final Fantasy XIII, but I'm happy to welcome our biggest guest on the show yet for a one-on-one interview, Jack Fletcher, the voice director and casting director on Final Fantasy XIII. Welcome, Jack. Thank you. So, professional voice director, casting director, and overall ADR director? Uh, ADR director, yes. Lots of ADR. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, just for people who aren't quite aware, you've worked on Final Fantasy X, Final Fantasy X-2, Final Fantasy XII, Final Fantasy Tactics, and films like Princess Mononoke, Kiki's Delivery Service, Castle in the Sky, Animatrix, and many, many more games, films, and anime series. Probably take me all day to list yeah, there's a, a quite an eclectic uh, group of stuff, but yeah, that's pr- that's that's good. That's good. That's a good sampling. <laughs> Perfect. So we've collected questions from your fans on Gaming Union about your role as the voice director and casting director on Final Fantasy Thirteen. So first off, thanks so much for joining us. All everybody was all excited about this interview, and overall, everybody every single question ended with thank you so much for your work on Final Fantasy Thirteen. Yeah, well, I really appreciate that, and I hope I don't disappoint. I try to be pretty <laughs> succinct in my answers. I don't do a ton of interviews, so uh, I hope uh, I hope it's informative. Sure. So we have quite a few questions, and we'll kick it off with one of our own, then lead into the fan questions. So my first question is, how did you get into voice directing and work your way to these huge productions you've been part of? Okay, well, um, I will try to keep it as brief as possible, because it is a very... <laughs> A long and uh, tortured story, but essentially, um, my last remaining really best friend from high school ended up marrying, who's a quite a well-known musician, married a Japanese woman who was translating on a tour that he was on, and she was roommates with uh, in high school a woman who ended up producing for Pioneer. And my family comes from uh, the American theater. My father was a fairly well-known regional theater director. My mom's an actress, so is my sister. And uh, my friend called me and said, hey, uh, this uh, friend of my wife's is producing for Pioneer, and she's just getting started. And I remember you being a huge fan of Astro Boy and uh, early anime stuff uh, from the 60s. And he said, uh, she's interested in somebody who has a critical point of view, who could bring some life to some American adaptations and uh, maybe even write some what are called, I guess, ADR scripts. And I was aware of this because I knew some people in voiceover. And, of course, I was very cocky and self-confident and was working at a theater in San Francisco directing and teaching acting, but felt fairly confident that I was able to say the challenge of writing these scripts. So that's how I sort of went to the school of hard knocks by starting to write ADR for a series called Tenchi Muo, which was direct to VHS and then Laserdisc at the time. Uh, VHS. So, so what year around was this? Uh, boy, you know what? You'll have to look at my <laughs> resume. I really don't remember. And the IDM, uh, IMDB page is, is so fraught with uh, inaccuracies in terms of time and credit, but mm. I think that was probably the early 90s, actually. Right. And from that, uh, there was a line producer on that uh, named Jessica Colos Miller, who is a good friend of mine, now works at a big, nice position at San Francisco Opera, who was very into animation production. And she had been contacted by a woman named Catherine Winder, 
who was working on a sort of boutique project called Eon Flux, oh, yeah. which was being produced out of Colossal Pictures in San Francisco, and I'm a San Francisco resident. And uh, Catherine got in touch with me and said, we have these short uh, episodes on Liquid Television, a series that played on MTV, and we're now going to voice these characters. Are you interested? And that's when I met Peter Chung, and the rest is history. So when I was doing Spawn uh, for HBO, which was also a show that Catherine produced, uh, my name came to the attention of uh, executive producer June Ida. He was executive producing Final Fantasy, The Spirits Within the Movie. He had been connected with the franchise of Street Fighter and had worked as a producer on the movie, the first movie, Street Fighter. And he got in touch with me, and that's how I got connected with the Final Fantasy franchise. Wow, that actually kind of steps right into our uh, our first fan question from Xeno Hero was, or how did you get involved in the Final Fantasy series? But you can answer this part of it is, what was it like stepping into a franchise as huge as Final Fantasy? Well, I had heard of it, and um, my uh, understanding from gamer friends of mine was that it was a very fun series, that it, it had, uh, at that point, I think, something in the neighborhood of seven to nine different versions, but all of them were text-oriented. And I remember when June talked to me when we were doing the movie, he said, we have a game coming up, Final Fantasy X, and we really want you to do it because... Uh, this is going to be the first time we actually have voice acting. And uh, that's how I became aware of it. I mean, you know, I sort of became aware of Final Fantasy and the, and the many different incarnations and the way it morphs uh, from uh, version to version or episode to episode right. by virtue of the fact that I had worked, was working on the movie. When he talked to me about doing the game, I was about a year and a half involved in the production on the movie. And the movie... Uh, production took place over a three to three and a half year period. It was a long, uh, complicated process because we at Square Studios were involved in quite a bit of R&D in, in that Sakaguchi-san had this very ambitious idea that we were going to do this, uh, although the, the studio doesn't like to refer to it as photorealistic, photorealistics, um, versions of humans, computer-generated, and all of that sort of thing. But we were also <laughs> discovering how to render to 35-millimeter film, uh, how to really provide a good look for key lighting and create shadows. We were investigating fabric at the time. If anybody goes back and looks at the movie, um, they'll see that everybody, including women, have short haircuts or their hair pulled back into very slicked, moosed ponytails so that the hair doesn't move. The only person yeah. whose hair moves is Aki, the lead female character. And I mean, that took us about a year to figure out. <laughs> so you, you were really involved in that process as well? I was involved in, the, in that I was around. And, uh, okay. you know, uh, what started as a job of voice casting and voice directing turned into directing the motion capture along with wow. who eventually turned out to be the animation director who was originally assistant animation animation director Andy Jones, who just won an Academy Award for uh, Avatar. And um, hmm. he and I became very close in working on uh, doing the motion capture. I was contacted by June. They tried to hire Hawaiian talent, which is where the mocap studio was, and uh, had not done very well in scoring 
uh, actors to do the physical, the, mo- the motion capture. So I ended up casting those guys as well. And then I ended up doing a lot of rewriting on the script. So I was very... Uh, all over the board. I was all over the place. And, and uh, so uh, by virtue of that, I was constantly talking to Andy and other technical people about where are we at. Uh, we had a meltdown on this particular thing. We're trying this particular avenue. We should be able to. We need to reshoot this scene because of this, blah, blah, blah. So I became uh, fluent enough in the technical aspects of what was going on. Wow. Yeah, it is. It's wow. Wow <laughs> is the, the story, word. Man. I'm just kind of trying to reflect back on how many people are involved in that chain of events. It was huge. And, you know, the thing was, it was interesting. Sakaguchi-san put the studio in... Honolulu, which was actually pretty clever because half the crew, I would say, this is an approximation, half the crew was from Japan, half the crew was from the West Coast or and or America, you know, somewhere in America, right. but usually the West Coast. So that split the difference time-wise in terms of flying. Yeah, yeah. Five hours to Tokyo and five hours from the mainland to, to Honolulu. And uh, so we had a... Uh, a mixed crew for sure. And I don't remember how many people, but it was a large, it was a big group. So over a decade ago, wasn't it now? Yeah, just about. It, it is, well, I know the uh, FF10 uh, was a 10 years ago, pretty yeah, much yeah. to right about now. So yeah. the film actually started probably 13 years ago, 13. Holy smokes. Yeah. Sort of on that note, our next question is from Omen. He asks, what do you do on a day-to-day basis for people who don't know much about the industry, and uh, what do you find most challenging about your job? <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, that was that was the last question you provided on my list, which is interesting. Now, do you think do you think Omen needs to? Is he asking what my nine-to-five life is when I'm not, uh, you know, like involved in production? Because I, I imagine in production, like he's thinking, what would you do during your typical day working on Final Fantasy? 15? Oh, okay, that that's fair enough. Well, if it is not involved in pre-production and getting a handle on the story, and let's say if there is a section, as there there were sections that <clears throat> the very first thing we started recording, probably just a touch prematurely by about two weeks, was the footage for that appeared in the very first trailer that we were getting ready for E3 last year. Right, yeah. So that involves me sitting down with QuickTime movies and seeing the Japanese mouth movements and fitting the English into that. So it's anywhere from writing ADR, reviewing footage, reviewing the story synopsis, and then reviewing scenes as they come in script-wise and trying to put them up against picture and seeing where we're going to need to pad dialogue up to like a standard day once we have it all cast, which is a whole operation in and of itself that qualifies as pre-production. We... uh, 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 my assistant, who also helps me cast, Joe Moeller, who is my invaluable uh, trusty partner in crime, right, yeah. uh, is scheduling actors, and then I am recording actors from 9 in the morning to 1 in the afternoon, taking an hour lunch break, during which time I'm usually returning a lot of phone calls and getting ready for the 2 o'clock session, and then 2 to 6. And that's usually involving leads or uh, characters that have... A fair amount of stuff to do uh, towards the end of a what we call a shoot, which is essentially record for voice stuff. Right. Um, we get to supernumerary smaller characters. Some of those guys to give us 
three voices. Some of those guys get a double contract and give us nine voices. So the mm-hmm. calls start to break up into two-hour increments, three-hour increments, or even hour-to-hour when you get down to the end. And then towards the very end, somewhere you fit in for Final Fantasy, you definitely have to get a loop group together, which is a collection of male and female actors who can look at the picture, see whatever disaster is befalling or what town scene is going on and give you a bunch of different passes to create the feeling of a, you know, a rock and roll stadium with crowds cheering or soldiers or like fighting. explosion and around a lot exactly of people. Exactly, that, that kind of stuff. So that generally takes a couple of, at least two eight-hour days. Oh, and wow. that's uh, how that goes. Do you find most of it fun or what particularly is challenging? I mean, I understand that it's a, a rarefied position, and I never uh, lose track of that. Right. Uh, and so in that case, uh, I consider myself lucky, and, uh, you know, and therefore, of course, it is fun. But that having been said, any, any game which should be fun involves challenges and setbacks and obstacles, and sometimes those challenges are not as fun as, you know, you would like them to be. Right. And so you have to work your way through those. And uh, there are times when you run up against uh, certain time constraints or technical problems or things of that nature, which can be frustrating. And as a director, it's your job to always try to essentially, at the very least, be a very good traffic cop yeah. and nego- negotiate, you know, the different factions that have to all be brought together and find a way to... Uh, negotiate essentially not just the director but the glue between the pieces exactly and you're you uh, as a director i think any any uh decent director is concentrating on on the performances and the quality and getting the actors to sound as though they're in the same space with each other as though they're talking to each other because you do record most of them individually it's rare that you have them together right and, and uh but you're also trying to satisfy uh writing needs producers needs time constraints in terms of schedule delivery all of that sort of stuff and keep everybody uh happy and confident gotcha so our, our next question is from Estheris. she asks how how long did it take you to find the right people for each role did you know immediately of some people that would fit perfectly for some characters um yeah that's a good question um on final let's take final fantasy 13 and this is a fairly accurate template. Ten took a little bit longer because it was the first one to be voiced. Right. But uh, 13, we were very well organized. We get script delivery, uh, and that is not all of the script. It's parts of the script that uh, Joe and I can then pull what are called sides from. And those are things that we send to agents, different scenes that we send to agents for the different characters. And on this one... We were told that they, I think we had about 20 characters that we had to audition. Um, The rest of them, uh, the studio, because of my history with Square Enix, said, you can go and cast whoever you like for these parts. Here's the character description, cast whoever you like. But for our, um, you know, leads and then uh, cameo characters, they, they definitely wanted to hear at least five to eight choices per character. So we spend about from the middle, well, I'd say mid-January through February going through the script, the synopsis, and breaking down the characters. Then in early to mid-March, we send out to agents. 
this stuff, and we start getting auditions back from the agents. And then if we need to, we have what are called callbacks in the studio where I actually direct people that they are very interested in and they want to hear some people. So that entire process goes from about mid-January to, I'd say, the middle to the end of last April. Holy smokes. And then we started recording the beginning of the second week of May of last year. And we recorded through the very end of September of last year. So just on the latter half of the question, did you know of any people in particular that you really wanted to hear for certain roles? Uh, I I always, and Joe also, have ideas of people. However, we are pretty dedicated to let's try not to repeat ourselves too much. Right. Uh, and then also Square is very uh, – very good about, look, okay, uh, Hetty Burris played uh, this role in 10. It's a little early to hear her in the lead yet. You know, so they like to, anybody who's played a lead in a previous game, let's say 12, let's say Kari Walgren, right. uh, they're, they're, they're not going to cast Kari as Lightning. Although I think she did do a, a, a good audition for Lightning this time around. And Allie, who had auditioned uh, before for me, uh, who I'd never met in person, just gave a really good audition and uh you know you do your homework and you ask around and you go what's uh, what she like to work with and you get good recommendations and she got the part so you you certainly have i had certain ideas of people um although i try to remain open and flexible you always have to listen to the client who's producing who's who's paying you who's who's got the money really what it is they they want and then Try to steer them in a direction that you know they may be unaware of and you're trying to make them aware of a a particular actor. I would say on this one, as soon as Joe and I heard George Van Kylenberg, who is from Australia, who's living in America, uh, for Vanille, we said, well, let's do our homework. We didn't know her, but we heard her audition and we said, that's sounding very close to the requirements that the Japanese have given us. They were very... Um, specific about the sound and the spirit and the flavor that they wanted from that particular character. So I would say on this one, I was pretty sure that Georgia was going to be the right choice for Vanille, and she ended up doing it. That actually leads into our next question from uh, North. They asked, I think it's very interesting that two of the main characters sound Australian. I know that this has caused a lot of questions among fans, so I was wondering whether you can give us your opinion on that decision. And they also added, thank you so much for the great Final Fantasy games. Final Fantasy X and XIII are my favorites. Thank you. You're very welcome. I'm glad to hear that. Well, uh, that that I get to happily pass the buck on. I'm happy with them (laughs) sounding Australian. I have a few opinions about it. We were told uh, from our localization team, who is, uh, which was led by a guy named Phil Bright, who is Australian, right. that they thought that the sound should be probably Australian or Kiwi or, or uh, New Zealand. Right. And uh, they, they cited Final Fantasy XII, where we had a race of uh, characters that were sounding very Icelandic. And uh, they said that would have probably been our choice, but we've been there already with a sound, so let's go Australian. And that was a dictate that we received from Square Enix, so Joe and I took and ran with that and started our search for people who were either Aussies who we could phone patch from Australia, uh, Australia or who were you know, living in the States, and uh, 
then uh, our other actress had had lived in Australia for a while, so her ear was really well tuned into uh, doing an accurate. Yeah, Australian. Rachel Robinson actually she was our, our just our last interview. Yeah, Rachel's terrific, and she really had a good ear. And then we had Phil in the room, so he was always our good uh, BS detector in terms of whether right. they, whether <laughs> the dialect was accurate or not, because that's always a big challenge. Yeah, you know, you you hear agents uh, always tell you in uh, in Los Angeles, oh yes, of course they do a fantastic uh, hybrid accent, or their French is impeccable, but you really have to. Uh, know your stuff because a lot of the time the accents are are not completely accurate to the region and in some games and in some animation shows that's okay an approximation is good enough but uh, we wanted it to be very accurate, and in this case it is. I had no problem with it. I mean, you know, you, uh, we, we, we didn't spend a lot of time with them being from another world saying, like, let's do German or let's do Eastern right. European. That sounded a little too arch. We wanted it in some way to be other from another country or from another world, but still ear-friendly and, and, and not um, to have its own melody that wasn't uh, sort of jarring. And uh, right. I think uh, Phil... And uh, Tom Slattery had decided, yeah, that really was, was if you're going to be listening to them for hours, this would be a, a, a fine accent, but still made them, you know, the others outside of the group. So. Right. I'd have to agree. I, I really like uh, Rachel and George's performances. Excellent. Our next question is from uh, Kuo87. They said, first and foremost, thank you so much for all your hard work on Final Fantasy Thirteen. It was truly a great pleasure to play a game that you've directed the voices on. On to my question, with the games coming from Eastern Asia slash Japanese roots, there's a heavy emphasis on who gets to voice video game characters. Uh, I noticed that Final Fantasy XIII didn't use any mainstream, that's in quotes, actors, contrary to Kingdom Hearts, another Square Enix title that has used people like Haley Joe Osmond and Mandy Moore, to name a few. Right. Uh, what was the rationale for your decision to go with relatively new actors instead of the name brand er- uh, actors? Well, it's, uh, this is, of course, not my decision. This is a decision from Square Enix, and then I get my orders from them. Uh, I have a really good relationship with them, and uh, if I felt strongly that there was, by mainstream, I interpret that from this question to equal celebrity. Yeah. Uh, if, if there was a celebrity voice that I said, this person is going to be perfect, please consider them, and they're going to be affordable, which is also... You know, in a, in a show like ours, we had close to a little over, I think when you count them up, a lot of these are single line characters, but they are characters. You had about 600 characters. So wow. the budget is, is constrained. Now you're getting two, three voices from many of those actors, but still, that's a huge budget for voice. Um, Haley Joel Osment, Mandy Moore, these guys are celebrities. And when we launched into doing Final Fantasy X, there was a lot of searching and going back and forth because originally Square wanted celebrities. And we did actually have two celebrities lined up that I don't think I should mention to do the two characters. Right. Um, and, uh, then the decision was made, let's not call attention to, let's not start that. Let's not set the precedent of casting celebrities in these parts. The story is King. The game is King. The gameplay is even more important. Uh, let's stay focused on having these voices 
be equated with the character only and not say, oh, that's Tom Cruise playing, you know, this part. And I think that's, that was the decision. I'm, I was involved in some of those discussions, and I think that that was uh, a wise decision. It's fun to hear somebody, like, let's take, for example, Animatrix. There is one episode where you hear Keanu uh, in the background once a guy revives at the end of the episode and comes to the different reality, and you hear him talking. That is him talking, and Carrie Ann Moss is through another entire episode, and those guys played those guys in the movie, and you want to hear those voices, or at least you want to get a, a decent enough voice match that you can't tell the difference. Right. But in Final Fantasy, James Arnold Taylor became the role of Titus, and so that's who we equate now with that voice. And that's, I think, where uh, Square Enix was coming from on that decision, to not go after names on the games. I find fi- fans like to jump on these uh, new, I guess, uh, I guess at this point there wouldn't be really aspiring voice actors anymore because they've hit this huge role in Final Fantasy Thirteen. But when they see these uh, voice actors get these roles and they haven't heard of them before, they really jump on being fans of them quite quickly. That's right. Our next question is from Akisuru12. They said, wonderful casting. Apparently the Final Fantasy Thirteen casters look quite a lot like their voice Part, uh, what do you think of this? Like, Ali Hillis looks like lightning sort of thing. Yeah, well, it is a little uh, scary and spooky that Ali, if she cut her hair to look exactly like lightning and made up to look like her, she'd look pretty much like her. It's entirely coincidence. Um, there was, it was not a deliberate choice. It just sort of turned out that way that Troy and Ali looked frighteningly like their characters. <laughs> I only noticed that after I start seeing uh, photos of Ali and Troy. Troy in particular, I think. Yeah, it's not deliberate. And Troy, Troy's the, he's got that look anyway. He's, he's, ever since I've known him, he's been a constant sort of morph between uh, punk sort of uh, 80s, uh, right. you know, <laughs> band or, and then an anime character. I mean, that's just, he's, he's sort of mercurial in the way he looks. You don't know if he's going to come in blonde one day or completely black hair, but he's, uh, <laughs> he, de- he does. I mean, just in terms of height and physicality, he actually just yeah. looked exactly like, uh, like the character. And that's, that's just coincidence. Hmm. All right. Our next question is from Penguin X. Uh, what has been your favorite project out of the, all the ones you've worked on? And thank you that you made the English version of Final Fantasy 13 an amazing experience. Well, in in answer to that question, as far as it relates to the franchise, my favorite is always the last one that I did. So my current favorite is Final Fantasy XIII, although I have a special spot in my heart for all of them. I'd say in terms of my limited but very cherished relationship with Miyazaki, probably Princess Mononoke is my favorite. All right. Our next one is from Zidane9. What do you look for in a voice actor or actress? I'm currently studying drama at high school and would maybe one day like to do voice acting. So any tips for what people are looking for would be great. And thank you for all the great voice acting or great voice actors in Final Fantasy so far. Well, you're welcome. And thank you for the compliment. I, um, this is a bit of a, uh, sounds like a bit of a, um, a roundabout and sort of ethereal and deliberately poetic and vague answer, but I actually (laughs) mean it. Uh, What I look for most in terms of when I listen to an audition or when, and when I have an actor in the room and they're auditioning, uh, I do not look at them. I just listen to them if it's for a voice role. 
And what I'm listening for first is a connection with the, the script and that they've done their homework. And that is essentially I'm looking for the honesty, honesty in the acting. Right. No matter what the style is. And that can be as broad as Tom Kenny being a Jake Spider monkey and my gym partner is a monkey. But what I'm listening for when he auditions for that, uh, and, you know, when he does SpongeBob, as you heard in Mel Blanc when he was doing Sylvester or Bugs Bunny or anything, there is an honesty. There is a truth of the core of that character that's coming through so that they're not shining you on or trying to yank your chain or trying to get laughs right. or trying to get your sympathy. They are in the dilemma that the character is in and trying to figure a way out and over and through the obstacle. And so I'm looking for that honesty in the voice, no matter what the style, and the ability to take chances. And then the other thing I look for, and that means risking, you know, daring to fail and sometimes failing big. You don't know unless you've tried. Absolutely. And the other thing I look for is that they've done their homework. In other words, they've read the script. And first and foremost, greatly appreciated is punctuality mm. be, be on time that makes perfect sense yeah <laughs> all right is uh it's our last question from the fans but probably probably the one they most want to hear about is uh what are your opinions on how final fantasy 13 turned out in the end uh i think i'm pretty happy with it i mean it's it's hard you know it's a huge thing we had to take a break uh because they had not finished recording the end of the game when we started and then there was a whole new section so that actually chapter 13 became chapter 13, part one and 13, part two. Oh, so, wow. so, yeah, it was a huge amount of scripts. Uh, I can't give you how many feet high it would stand if you stacked <laughs> the script off the floor, but I'm saying it, it stood at least three feet high, if not more. Wow. And so... My job is to keep track of the arc of the story of that. And I know that when you move through the story, sometimes two months into it, you're like, hey, I'm kind of recording this same, hey, guys, don't be down scene. We can all do it if we all work together as a team. I feel like we've recorded this scene before. <laughs> but I, it's my job to understand where that comes in the story and that, uh, you know, 13 or 14 or 15 hours into play that may be when that scene is appropriate to happen again. So I have to breathe new life into it. I felt that we did a pretty good job with that. We had a lot of scenes where we were short on dialogue, and I was furiously, along with Phil, writing more dialogue to pad it out. And because of the trust Square Enix has in me and our history together, they really uh, have faith in me to adapt uh, faithfully to the script while giving flavor to the characters. So... Sometimes when you get a literal translation from the Japanese, there isn't quite as much fun or as much color in, let's say, the sardonic or sarcastic attitude that Lightning spends, you know, sort of in that bitter room that she's in as right. a character for the first half of the game. They gave me free license to, uh, to, to pad out the dialogue with my own lines in there. And I felt that that actually gave flavor to the Western edition, the English edition of the game, that uh, felt really good. And I know Phil was uh, very happy with that as well, and so were the actors. And that made them feel a little bit looser and uh, more in the character. So in terms of the characters and the s story arc, I think, and which is very ambitious, I think we did a good job. Um, I always ask for any game that I have are examples of gameplay. 
and they either send somebody over to play the game for me for a while. It's in Mad World. I had a guy who could play a lot of the game for me, and I was like, okay, okay, I get it. So <laughs> I got the flavor of the game so that I could get down with the flavor of what the dialogue and the, uh, you know, the cutscenes were supposed to sound like, and where and where the cutscenes are leading to. And in that sense, when I started to get a load of the gameplay they were sending me over from in its different incarnations from Japan, I was like, wow, okay. Well, as long as I provide the connective tissue believably and with some energy, uh, this is not going to be a problem. And from what I, what I hear, the gameplay and control of the game is uh, is really spectacular. I don't know because I haven't played it. So. I, I can, I can uh, confirm that for you. Good. Well, then I'm happy. So you mentioned in the in the first trailer you had to match to the lips for the E3 uh, presentation, but in the final game the lip movement was reanimated to the English uh, voices. I'd say about seventy seventy five to eighty percent of the time that's true. Then we were ending up matching oh, really? other scenes. But yeah, there it was catch as catch can. Most of it they reanimated. Even if we were some of it they sent over sort of junk flaps where we had some stuff moving, then we had the mouth just closed. So you never knew until you got to the current version because they were sending us updated uh, material constantly. Uh, which version of the scene you were going to be working to in any particular day. So, so you'd be moving towards a certain uh, you know, amount of frames or amount of time that that those that line had to fit in always, even when it was reanimated to English? That's exactly right. And then in wow. many cases, not all towards the end, but in many cases what was very helpful was we had the original uh, Japanese dialogue set in place. Right. And then I was able to say to Phil, look, in Japanese culture, that pause for rumination in between there is very meaningful, but it's going to be a groove killer in English. And he was like, yes, agreed, let's fill it up. So we would know when we were taking liberties and when we could you know, push up against another line of dialogue. And then that reanimate to your... Yeah, that's right. They would animate design. to our stuff. He would get it approved from Japan. But as I say, I've had a long relationship with them over there. I, I knew the producer and director and... Uh, they had bigger fish to fry over there as well, and they just really trusted our work. Um, you know, we, we have a good track record with them. So they were just like, cool, fine, send it over. It's great. And then Tom was our man in uh, Tokyo on the other end, and he would listen to it and go, I love the line, just let's re-record it louder because we're going to up, be up against more effects and music than we thought. So we would re-record the same line just with more oomph to it. But, yeah, that's how that process worked. Of the of all the recording that's done, say you know the hundred percent of recording, how much of that is re-recording, and how much of it just is when you record that day, it ends up being in the game. Mm, I would have to give you a probably eighty percent is done when we finish it. Oh, okay. And then and then we go back in. I go through stuff. I try to re do reviews on a project as long as this one and as voluminous as this one, and I try to do reviews like once every two weeks. And then I'm pretty much a stickler, and I go, boy, that, uh, that read is not right there. Uh, she's emphasizing the wrong word. That's my fault. Let's just, when we get her in again, let's say, for example, lightning, when we get her in tomorrow, just mark these three lines for a redo. So I would do pickups on my own, and then we would get notes from Japan of going, uh, more something here, less something there. And so we would do pickups within a session. Gotcha. We, we rarely had to call, I think in only a couple of cases did we have to call an actor back in, especially we thought they were done. 
then they discovered, wait, there's another scene that fell through the cracks. So we, we, oh. we you know, we, we, we and in a show this big, that's not unusual. Yeah, I can imagine three feet of uh, script. Yeah, that's big. If you get out of the window. Yeah. I have uh, one final question. This is from us. Uh, is there any fun stories you can share from the booth or, I guess, the director's booth? I'm a terrible person to ask about those things. <laughs> I really am. I mean, the, the, the people to ask are the producers and the other, the, the engineer and the actors. They will always come to me and say, hey, do you remember when you said it was hilarious? And I, I just black out on these things. I don't, I, I'm, I'm the same way. I don't really know. I can't retell jokes yeah. at all. Yeah, yeah. But uh, overall, it was a good experience. Yeah, it was terrific. Terrific. No, I really enjoy working with those guys. And uh, yeah, it's been terrific. All right. That leads us to the end of our show. So for those listening to Final Fantasy Union for the first time, you can find us on the Gaming Union Network at FinalFantasyUnion.com or on iTunes. Just search Final Fantasy and we're number one. The podcast series is called Final Fantasy and Kingdom Hearts Union. So thank you so much, Jack, for answering all these questions and joining us today. Sure. Thank you, Kyle, and thanks for making it so uh, pressure-free and comfortable. So, and, and uh, thank you from all the fans uh, sure. for answering their questions. You're listen, thanks to them. Absolutely. All right, and I'm Kyle saying goodbye. This has been a TweaksMusic.com and FinalFantasyUnion.com production. <laughs>